What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Hibs. Just kidding. It's me, Demo, because Hibs has gone off and left us into the land of holy matrimony. And this week, for the first time ever, we have a guest host on the podcast. Uh, but I'll leave that to him to introduce himself. Uh, but on this week's episode, we have trivia questions about sports, music, gaming, and finance, as well as hot seat topics on Dr. Seuss and the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, as always, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Trivia Rewrites with your hot seat topics or comments about the show, or you can reach us an email at Trivia Rewrites at gmail.com. Um, that's all I have for you right now. Without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode of Trivia Rewrites. Welcome to Trivia Rewrites, where we look at how the news is changing trivia. Today is Wednesday, November 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Demo, and this is your co-host, Nick. Nick. <laughs> Who are you, Nick? Tell us about yourself. So I met you, Demo, uh, when we were both undergrads at Purdue playing on the Ultimate Frisbee team. And then we kind of fell out of touch for almost a decade, I guess. And then you reached out with a letter before I knew it. I was listening to your podcast. And now since Hibbs is off being married, I am filling in for a week. Easy peasy. Back then, you were not known as Nick. You no, were... back then I was known as Chops. But apparently that because... nickname has died. Along, yeah, along so... with the man we once knew. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, I shaved the Chops off and now I have a beard. All right. So... For new listeners, this is a show where we look at the weekly news and we try to come up with trivia questions about it, whether there's a record that's been set or something's happened for the first time. Uh, but to start us off, Nick has written some This Day in History trivia. I have. So I thought I would start us off chronologically. First one, we go way back to 1491. It's so on this day in 1491, the Treaty of Granada was signed. This treaty was a provisional surrender of Granada, the last Moorish castle in Spain, marking the beginning of the end of what period in Spanish history that had begun almost 800 years earlier? Oh, boy. Uh, not that... Oof. Well, it wouldn't, be the, it wouldn't be the Spanish Inquisition, would it? That wasn't 800 years long, I don't think. And that was it like was later... I don't know. So the Spanish Inquisition actually overlaps with this period. Oh, okay. It was started by the same two rulers, Ferdinand II and Isabella I, that were busy conquering Granada here. I got nothing. You got to gotta help me. <laughs> it is the Reconquista. Jeez. <laughs> okay. So, so that's a period where Christians basically kicked Muslims out of Spain. Mm. It was a really long period of a lot of wars and things. And so this was the final... Islamic stronghold in Spain. I'm glad that as a people, we've gotten over hating people for the religion that they have. Aren't you? Uh, I think we're <laughs> certainly better than we were in 1491. <laughs> Maybe still some room for improvement. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So next, on this day in 1897, okay. Spain right. granted the right to self-governance for what island nation? Hmm. 
18 oh um cuba close um dominican republic incorrect <laughs> it is puerto rico oh okay yeah it's pretty sad actually they elected their new democratic government and then i think less than two weeks later the u.s invaded and took over so very short-lived oops but, indeed when did Spanish cuba American become War? independent that that was like around the same time yeah, so it's all part of the same thing. It's fallout with the Spanish-American War. Right. That's when Spain gave us uh, quite a few territories, and Cuba was just one that they didn't relinquish to us. Cuba, 1902. There you go. 1897, 1902, pretty close. <laughs> Ofer. Ofer hey. 2. Come on. So this... Might be getting into our hot seat segment later on in the show, oh. but on this day in 1920, the first Thanksgiving Day Parade was held in what city? Wasn't it Philadelphia? It is Philadelphia. And as it's now known today, it is the 6 ABC Dunkin' Donuts Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> cool. yeah. I'm glad it hasn't been commercialized to all. Yeah, certainly <laughs> not to the extent of Macy's. All right. Next question. The Mousetrap debuted on this day in London's West End in 1952. The play would become the longest oh. initial run of any play of any play in history with over 28,000 performances only ending on March 16, 2020 due to COVID-19 restrictions. Known more for her detective novels, who wrote The Mousetrap? Agatha Christie. It is Agatha Christie. Mousetrap. Well done, Demo. I never even heard of that. And it's the longest running either. Longest running play on the West End? Yep. I think of any play just ever. When you said the mousetrap, I was like, surely mousetraps are older than the 1950s because you initially just started the (laughs) question, but I guess, I don't don't know when the first mousetrap was made. Maybe it's not. I I would think also earlier than that. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Okay. On November 25th, a.k.a. this day in history, 1960, the Mirabel sisters were assassinated for their resistance activities against the Dominican dictator Rafael Trujillo. A fictionalized version of their resistance and the untimely end to their lives was the basis of a novel by Julia Alvarez and a 2001 film starring Selma Hayek, Edward James Olmos, and Mark Anthony. What is the title shared by this novel and movie? Um... I always get the Nick. I think I'm getting it mixed up with another movie that I always think of. But is it Toy Soldiers? It is not Toy Soldiers. So what's the other one? Small you Soldiers. Think of? No. <laughs> it is in the time of the butterflies. Nope, I was way off. Way off. Yep. <laughs> It'll happen. All right. This one I think you've got in the bag. <laughs> On this <Jeez>. day. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. On this day in 2016. Which famous communist leader died at the age of 90? Oh, was it, uh, was that only in 2016? Wow. It was. Castro? Fidel Castro? It is Fidel Castro. Huh. It seems like his brother's been in charge of the country for a long time in my head, but I guess not. Yeah, so I think he handed over control to Raul several years before he died. Oh, I see. So I think it's been longer than 2016. Fidel Castro. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is that all you had? That's all I have. Mercifully, we've come to the end. 
so now we're going to move on to the topical section of the show. So this is where Nick and myself have looked at the weekly news and tried to come up with some questions questions about it. Um, so we both have some sports ones. So I'll just start. And if they happen to overlap with yours, good for you. You're going to know the answer and uh, see where we go. So the first one I got for you, it's got about uh, college football. Okay. It's not going to go well. All right. For the first time <laughs> in team history, dating back to 1887, which Big Ten football team is 0-5 for the first time in school history? It's going to be pretty embarrassing. Big college football out. fan. Yeah. That's what I heard. <laughs> Super. Okay. Uh, we did go to Purdue. So, it's an in-conference, in-conference Purdue, team. Right. So, that's why it's particularly embarrassing because if they're the yeah. team that's on five and I just haven't paid attention at all, I'm a terrible alum. Mm. Your face is unreadable at this moment. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this. It's the first time they've ever been 0-5. So, they, they have been good for quite a long time, if that's, a, if that's more of a hint for you. So, is it Ohio State? Okay. I like the guess. It's not Ohio State. They're still very good. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is Penn State. Okay. Penn State's zero and five. Yeah, they have. They've not been the same since uh, sexual scandals. Well, they had some good years in there. Not the same. No, sorry. Not related to the sexual scandals. Scandals afterwards. <laughs> they've had good years. This year, they just happen to be really bad for some reason. So I don't know. Um, okay. Do you, you want to do a sports one? All right. Sure. Uh, Related to football, but professional instead of college, uh-huh. with two touchdowns in the loss against the Los Angeles Rams, Tom Brady has retaken the career touchdown record from whom? Uh, well, retaken. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's got to be Drew Brees then, right? It is Drew Brees. Because for a long time, well, for a, a while there, it was Peyton Manning, but couldn't be him because he's not playing anymore, so... He is not, and neither is Drew Brees right now because he's out with a punctured lung, I believe. Yikes. Yeah, so presumably Brady will hold it for a little while. Punctured lung? Wow. I guess That's you what know, I read. football's not a sport for a 45-year-old man or whatever he is, but okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got. I'll stick with the NFL. I got one NFL one. Okay. <laughs> Big NFL fan here. As big as college football, at least. It's the first time in franchise history that which AFC North team has won their first 10 games of the season? Uh, The record, which is continuing to grow, replaces the 1978 team who began their season 7-0 and went on to win the Super Bowl over the Dallas Cowboys. See, that should be helpful if I was a fan. Yep, should be. I don't know. I'm going to say... The Vikings. Okay. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers are 10 now for the first time. No follow-up. That's all I had. A lot of Pennsylvania action. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the good and the bad. You know, you got it. Right. Maybe it's a transference of luck. You know, each state gets a certain amount and they've just allocated if that were true all or nothing then the state of michigan must have transferred their luck out of state because all of their <laughs> teams are bad what do you got what do you got sports okay so i'm gonna go back to the same rams versus buccaneers game <laughs> okay. because in addition to having this player record they set an officiating record okay. for the first time in league history 
all the officiators shared what commonality? They were all uh, black, I believe. They were all black, yeah, for the very first time. Pretty crazy when you consider the age of the NFL. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about the history of NFL officiating, so I can't really be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing or not amazing at all. How many refs are there? Four? Uh, There were a lot more in the picture. I think there were something like six or seven. All right. I don't know. Still, you would think in an over 50-year history, it would have happened at least once before now. You would think, but no, it didn't. And I'm not surprised, (laughs) I guess, is what I'm saying. But yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Okay. (laughs) You want to go back to me? Sure. Okay. For the first time in 46 years, the Cowboy Downhill at Steamboat Resort has been canceled. And has been postponed to 2020. Oh, due to the postponement of the National Western Stock Show as a result of the COVID 19 pandemic. In which state is Steamboat Resort located? Steamboat Resort. Yep. It's a ski resort. And it's called the Cowboy Downhill. The Cowboy Downhill at Steamboat Resort. Well, I picture steamboats on rivers. Uh-huh. And. Colorado is a big ski area and has a nice big river, so I'm going to go Colorado. Yep, you got it. It's in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Excellent. Cool. And I'll read the little description of the Cowboy Downhill because I'd never heard of it. But it, nothing says Steamboat like cowboys on skis. That's what Billy Kidd, director of skiing, and Larry Mahan, six-time all-around world champion cowboy, were thinking when they made the decision to invite some of the pro rodeo cowboys up to Steamboat for some serious fun on the slopes. 40 years later, the downhills has evolved into a signature steamboat event as 100 professional rodeo cowboys flock to the boat for one of the most unique events in the West. That's a wild union. I don't know why. I don't know why that happened, but it did. And now we have that. (laughs) A crowded bar, maybe. Follow-up question. Okay. I have a list of the states with the most ski resorts. Which state has the most ski resorts? If you had to guess. Not the not the most number of people going to visit to ski, which right. would probably be quite a different list, but the most ski resorts. <laughs> You'd think it'd be something with a significant portion of Rocky Mountain presence. I'm going to go Montana. Good guess. Montana is number 10, actually. Only 15. The number one on here, 51 in the state of New York. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colorado Michigan has Colorado has, has thirty one. Michigan has forty, but apparently New York has more than anybody. I guess it's just maybe to serve like the larger populations. They have so many resorts, like yeah, where they're just I mean, a lot of little small of ones resort, compared to like Colorado right? has like several big ones. I don't know. You really only need tall hills rather than mountains, and they probably have that because doesn't yeah. the Appalachian Mountain Range go into New York? Uh, yes, it definitely does. So there you go. All right. Finish this off. You got some sports? Okay. More sports. So Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and Dominic Thiem, the world number one, two, and three tennis players, respectively, were defeated by what player on his way to securing the ATP Finals Championship, becoming the only player in the tournament's history to achieve such a feat? Oh, boy. I didn't look at who won, but that's a good stat. So he's do my best tour final or the ATP tour. It's got to be one of the top eight, right? And I think it's like the top eight ranked guys. So 
right. would think it'd be like, I mean, the the good guess is Roger Federer, but the off the wall, like maybe it's somebody new and upcoming would be, um, who's that German guy? I can't think of the German guy's name, but he's my second guess after Federer. Okay. So I believe the German guy you're thinking of is Alexander Zverev. Yep. The answer has a similar number of V's. It is Daniel Medvedev of Russia. Oh, wow. Indeed. So I have a couple follow-up questions. Okay. If you would like. Why not? First, is with that victory, Medvedev becomes only the fourth person to defeat the top three players in any single tournament. Can you name any of the other three? And since there's three of them, let's say three guesses. It's an interesting stat because you can't be ranked in the top three to have done it, right? You'd have to be somebody right. outside of the top three. You've got to be an underdog by definition. Yeah. Um, who's uh, the British guy? The new Murray? Yes. He's one of my guesses. Okay. Oh, you're just going to leave me I'll, hanging. I'll let you know leave me hanging. Three guesses, yeah. I'm going to leave you hanging. Okay. Murray's one of my guesses. Um, oh, uh, Del Potro. Juan Martin Del Potro, and then okay. last guess, we'll say uh, Michael Chang. Michael Chang, Andy Murray, Juan Martin Del Potro. Those are my three. <laughs> okay. I like the guesses, particularly Murray. But they're all none wrong. Of your guesses landed. Yeah. <laughs> the three that have done it before are David Nalbandian, oh, Boris yeah. Becker, and Novak Djokovic. Oh. Anywho, cool. Is that, is that all we have? For sports? Done with tennis. Uh, crime. Crime. Okay. Lay it on me. The district attorney, Chessa Budin, plans to bring forward homicide charges against a police officer for the first time in the history of which city? I saw a Reddit post about this, but I did not click on that. Classic millennial. Is the crime recent? Did it happen... Like within the past week, or are the charges just being levied this week? Unknown. I don't know that, but I don't. I would think it would take a while to bring the charges, but I know they brought the charges this week. I guess I'm just going to go with a famous case and say the Breonna Taylor case, okay, which was in Louisville, right? Whichever county that is. So we're looking for a city that's progressive, a progressive type city that would do this. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Portland, let's say. Good guess. San Francisco. Okay. Those, yeah, I'm going to say those are my top two progressive cities. Portland and San Francisco? That's, yeah, that's probably about right. Didn't have a follow-up there. What do you have? You've got, you got a lot of music. Let's have some music. I have, I have some music. All right. So, this week marks the first time that artists born this millennium mm. have held both the number one and two positions on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Can you name either the artists or songs that hold the number one and two spots? Probably not, but let's try, right? Let's try. That's, I mean, that's the purpose of the show. Billie Eilish, she's like a Billie young, popular Eilish person. Is number two. Oh, okay. Cool. Nailing it. Would you like to guess the song or would you like a given? I have no idea about the song. The song is called Therefore I Am. Oh, is the first song called I Think? <laughs> Um, born this millennium, pretty young, mm -hmm. pretty young. Uh, yeah. Billy is the younger of the two being born in 2001. The other one was born in 2000. Oh, who'd we just, who's the guy 
Harry Styles. I like where your head's at. I think Harry Styles is older than that, but I don't know for so sure. So do I, but I don't know any young people. I had not heard of this person before, okay. but I also don't listen to a lot of pop, so that probably doesn't mean anything. Who is it? It is 24K Golden. I'm hoping that's what he goes by. Featuring Ian Dior, and the song is called Mood. Since you and Hibbs always ask each other if you've listened to the songs, yes, I have listened to the songs. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. All right. They're fine. His name My... is his name is Golden, but not twenty four K Golden. That's just his okay. professional name. Golden Landis Von Jones is his name. There you go. All right. Fancy. Okay. So related to Billboard. Yeah. Blinding Lights by The Weeknd has oh. just entered its 40th week in the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100, Whoa. breaking a record previously held by what artist or song? You know what the this came up at trivia with us one time and it was it was the song that had held it. I think it was the most weeks at number 1 though. So, you would think it would have a lot of weeks in the top 10. Wasn't it like One Sweet Day by uh Mariah Carey featuring Boys to Men? That's been so in the I, top 10 a lot. Yeah, I do think that held a record like that at some point. That was That's my guess. That's my guess. Okay. I like the guess. <laughs> it is Circles by Post Malone at 39 weeks. Wow. Well, that must have been pretty recent then too, right? I would think. He hasn't been around that long. Would you like more music? Yeah. <laughs> let's, just, <laughs> let's just have it all out right now. I don't have- Beyonce. Oh has received nine nominations at this year's Grammy Awards, giving her 79 nominations total in her career. Ooh. This ties her for second place for most nominations with which artist? Second place. Second place. Yikes. Most Grammys, huh? Most Grammy nominations. Nominations. Sorry. Excuse me. Michael Jackson. I like the guess. <laughs> Ooh. Let, give, me a, give me a hint. Hint me. A hint is older. Okay. It's a solo guy, right? You said? He has done solo, oh. but he probably had quite a few nominations as a member of a group. Mm, older than Michael J. I mean, Paul McCartney, maybe? It is Paul McCartney. Nailed it. Who's number one? Number one is also a tie between Jay-Z and Quincy Jones. Oh, okay. Uh, each have 80. Got it, got it, got it. 80? All oh right. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you have a question about the environment? What am I doing with my life, you know? Quincy Not getting Jay-Z 80. has 80 Grammy nominations? Yeah. I haven't even sniffed a Grammy nomination. He also has a billion dollars, so we're behind him in more ways than one. Well, let's talk about the environment, I guess. <laughs> speaking of speaking of a billion dollars, Virginia has mm -hmm. allocated $10 million in funding for the restoration of which animal? The restoration of an animal. And this is the first time that the state has used capital funds to restore natural resources. Typically, those are used for, like, building state facilities or roads. But I just want you to name the animal. So, in a recent episode of Trivia Rewrites, I think you talked about how the gray wolf had lost its protection status. Oh, yeah. It was going to become no longer endangered, I think. Indeed. Probably just vulnerable now, but... But are gray wolves in Virginia? And would they allocate $10 million for it? Right. That's that what I'm like asking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll stick with the predator vein. I'm going to say bobcats. Okay. 
it is not a predator. It's like one of the least predaceous things you could think of. It's actually oysters. Oysters. They've allocated $10 million in new funding for oyster restoration in the Chesapeake Bay and uh, York Rivers. Apparently, they need to be revived because they're being... Decimated by mining runoff? I don't know. <laughs> didn't, 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 <laughs> just, probably something like that. I don't know exactly why, but... My great-grandfather used to trawl for oysters on the Wabash River. Oh, really? Well, freshwater clams, I don't know if they were considered a form <laughs> some of type of Some type of mollusk. You know, yep, let's not exactly. get into the details. Interesting. Are there still clams in the river? I guess I would assume there are probably some, but... I mean, I, I think they exist because you can see their shells still, oh, but yeah. I wouldn't want to eat them out of the Wabash. Yeah. That's pretty disgusting river. Go back to you. <laughs> okay. You have one in gaming. Gaming. Yeah. So, a sealed copy of a video game in mint condition oh. for the Nintendo Entertainment System was sold at auction for $156,000, mm-hmm. setting a new record for highest sale price ever for a video game. What game fetched this lordly sum? Mm. Um, Legend of Zelda. An excellent choice. What is the other big franchise from Nintendo? Mario? Mario. Mario 3? It was Super Mario Brothers 3. There you go. The previous record oh. was set last July at $114,000. Which game was unseated by Super Mario Brothers 3? <laughs> Legends of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that that had been the answer. But it is Super Mario Brothers, the original. Oh. Like the one that came with the system? I, I think so. Because that's, yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess if it's sealed, though, it's like, it's kind of weird because you'd think it'd be a rare game, but I guess people wouldn't be willing to pay that much money for a franchise that wasn't that popular, so. Do you have another? Yes. I have one more. Okay. And then you have one at the end. Is your, I, I have kind of a long one. Do you want me to do mine at the end or? I think you should go for it. I'll be a short one. I'll go for it. All right. Uh, Road Scholars. Oh, I just, oh, well, I'll just change the question, but I just blew it. Anyway, U.S. recipients for the Rhodes Scholarship were elected virtually for the first time this year. Uh, Which prestigious university do Rhodes Scholars attend? (laughs) The question was going to be name Rhodes Scholars. What was the scholarship? Yeah, but I boofed it right away, so. I love that's a term now. It's a pretty old award, so you would think also old university. Mm-hmm. Accurate. So let's go something Ivy League-ish. My wife would be very disappointed in me yeah. because she works in scholarships, so she would know. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to say Yale. Okay, I'll give you a second guess. It's not an American okay. university. Beautiful. Okay, so I will say Oxford. Oxford it is. That's it. 32 students this year (laughs) were selected for the Rhodes Scholarship. Uh, It was established in 1902 by what man? Do you know who the Rhodes Scholarship is named after? Emmanuel Rhodes. His name was Cecil John Rhodes. He was a British mining magnate and politician from uh, Southern Africa, South Africa. And he was the prime minister of the Cape Colony from 1890 to 1896. Do you know what inspired him to set that up? I don't mean I don't have his exact words, but he sure. was basically like trying to give back. 
I don't know. I don't know exactly why. Classic. Uh, I didn't know. Have you ever heard of, uh, have you ever seen that famous picture of, it's in tech, a lot of textbook. It's a cartoon about the colonization of Africa. And there's a guy standing with his foot on South Africa and he's, and his other foot on Egypt. And he's like straddling the whole continent. I think so. So that's this guy. It's called the Rhodes Colossus, which is like a parody of the Colossus of Rhodes. Right. The wonder of but the world. That is a cartoon of Cecil Rhodes because he was a big advocate for building a railroad from South Africa to Cairo, which would secure British hold of Africa. So I've seen that cartoon, you know, half a dozen times in textbooks. Didn't know it was Cecil Rhodes. Didn't know that was the Rhodes Scholarship guy. But apparently it is. And he's got, you know, sort of a troubling history because well, yeah. he was a diamond magnate, but he was also like governor <laughs> of South Africa. It's like, okay, there's obviously some <laughs> conflict, conflict of, interest of interest stuff going yeah. on there. But uh, do you know any famous Rhodes Scholars? I have a list of several, but do you know anybody? I don't know of any. You've definitely heard of them. Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Did you know that? So he didn't go to college on his saxophone abilities? No, that was just a hobby. He's a Rhodes Scholar, baby. Wasn't Bush also a Rhodes Scholar? No, not as far as I know. Bill Clinton's the only president. Um, Susan Rice, ambassador to the UN, is a Rhodes Scholar. Governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal, also a Rhodes Scholar. Okay. Apparently it's like a fast track to (laughs) being a very important and powerful person. That probably just goes along with going to Oxford, though. So, Yeah, and I guess, you know, being able to be selected for the award. Yeah. Final question. It's <laughs> yours. <laughs> Finance. <laughs> yes. Okay. Buoyed by vaccine news and the GSA officially beginning the Biden transition, what index achieved a new all-time high of 30,000 points? Ooh. Dow Jones? It is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well done. Way to finish the segment on a win. No follow-up? That's it? That's it. I mean, it's not that interesting. I know everything there is to know about finance. I got it. So now (laughs) we're going to move into the hot seat segment of the show. So this is where Nick and myself have each selected a topic for the week. We've studied it, and our co-hosts are going to bombard us with questions about it until we cry and forget everything we learned. I don't know that I signed up for that, but all right. It's just like cramming for a test, but you have a week. And it's yeah, like a very specific it. subject. <laughs> um, With little real world value. So you wanted to pick a topic which was topical. So what, what you want to talk about the topic that you chose? I chose to be questioned on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I am not a big parade guy. I've never seen it. The only thing I knew about it before now was that it existed and that Al Roker was somehow involved. But my wife suggested I do something Thanksgiving related, and that's the only thing that came to mind. Cool. (laughs) What topic did you choose, Nima? Oh, I chose... We'll do that next. But I chose... um, Well, you chose it, actually. But I I thought it was interesting. Dr. Seuss. Author, Indeed. cartoonist, famously a children's Pro- author. Propagandist. Excuse me? Propagandist. Propagandist? Why not? Everyone had their hand in the propaganda jar back then. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're going to do your segment first. All right. So I'm, so I'm going to put you on the... Are you ready right now? 
Yeah, I'm putting my notes away. All right. All right. Turn the notebook over. Hit, uh, Nick, I almost said hips. You are on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Hot Seat. Uh, your first question comes in three parts. It's about firsts at the parade. Okay. I guess four parts. Whatever. When was the first edition of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? First edition? As in, like, when was the first one held? Correct. 1924. 1924. And do you know what the theme of the first parade was? It was actually a Christmas parade at that point. It was a, a Christmas parade. Very good. The first parade in 1924, as we alluded to, the actually. The theme was Mother Goose. Is that what you were getting at? Sorry? <laughs> the theme was Mother Goose. Oh, was it? Yeah. I just had Christmas. Okay. Mother Goose? The, the front store display, I guess, was Mother Goose themed. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Uh, as you said, it's the second. It's tied for the second oldest Thanksgiving Day parade. With uh, New York's Thanksgiving parade, or sorry, Detroit's Thanksgiving parade, but Philadelphia is actually the oldest. Okay, next question. When was the parade first televised? It was so complicated. Most sources I saw said 1946, but then I found one that said in 1945 that there were NBC camera crews. So I'm going to go with 1946. Okay, I have that it was first locally televised in an experimental broadcast in 1939, actually. Wowza. But then it began to be broadcast regularly in 1945, and then a major network took over CBS in 1948. Uh, but which network has been the official broadcaster of the parade since 1953? Do you know that? I believe it's NBC. NBC, indeed. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> When was the first virtual edition of the parade? Virtual. Yeah. It was available in a 360-degree virtual reality live telecast. What year? I read this, but I did not commit the date to memory. Because it's pointless trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say 2008. 2016. Since 2016, Verizon has produced the virtual version of the parade and it's available on youtube okay next one well that's kind of all the year questions i had but uh balloons a very popular part of the parade now made their debut in 1928 after being inspired by a float called what which is also the nickname of balloon designers today do you know the name of that float so this i read mm -hmm. balloonatics yeah, b balloonatics maybe would be balloonatics. Okay, yeah, probably that sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> the balloonatics float exactly. What's that? Just uh, your pronunciation makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I read that too. I'm, and I was... I'm trying to bring both Hibbs's trivia ability and pronunciation skills to the table here. Well, you're doing a good job. Appreciate it. Um, okay, I couldn't find. This is a very suspect question because I couldn't find a real good source on this, but. Uh, Macy's, thanks to the parade, is reportedly the second largest consumer of helium in the world. Can you tell me which entity consumes the most helium? The United States government. It is the U.S. government. And tried real hard to find a source on whether this was true. Failed to do so. The only thing I could find was like the parade, uh, you know, every year they have about 30 balloons and each balloon has about half a million cubic feet of helium. So that'd be like... 15 million cubic feet of helium. And then I found a source that says 
NASA uses approximately 75 million cubic feet of helium a year. So probably about accurate if we're just going by NASA, but have no idea. I just saw that fact and I thought it was interesting. I agree. <laughs> did, did you do any digging into that or were you just like, because it's one of those things I couldn't, like, I was like, I don't believe that. That doesn't make any sense, but maybe. If they were the second largest or that the U.S. is the largest? That, Macy's is the second largest consumer of helium in the world. Like it's, it does seem pretty crazy that a one-time event would be enough. Because you would think Macy's helium consumption is pretty low outside of the parade. Right. <laughs> but the yeah. balloons are. You forgot gigantic. to factor in that all of their employees are required to huff it when they speak, so that they yeah. have a squeaky voice. The entire holiday season, if you're <laughs> portraying an elf, you gotta have helium. That's what they told me, anyway. But, uh, no, I don't know. Okay. Uh, two more. Here we go. The oldest and most recurring float in the parade debuted in 1973 and is now the parade's unofficial mascot. Can you name the character or float that I'm referring to? <laughs> A float, huh? Yeah. Balloons get all the press, but... Floats have the staying power. So this is a Falloon, because they have Falloons, Balloonicles. It's just a float, as far as I know. I don't think it's, I don't think there's any balloons. It is an animatronic float, and it's the unofficial mascot of the parade, featured on a lot of its posters and whatnot. I only looked at one poster from 2014. Had Thomas the Tank Engine, mm. the Macy's Star... I remember reading that a float featured the Weebles, so I'm going to go with the Weebles. <laughs> the Weebles is not the Weebles. It is Tom Turkey. Tom Turkey's the oldest, most recurring, most famous float in Thanksgiving, uh, in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's an animatronic turkey surrounded by pilgrims. Doesn't he lead the parade now? He does lead the parade. And you know who typically bookends the ending of the parade? I'm going to guess... Snoopy. He's one of the most famous people in the world. Is it <laughs> one of the most famous people in the world? Yes. Is it a real person? No. Is it Uncle Sam? No, it's Santa Claus. Santa Claus? Oh. <laughs> Uncle Sam? <laughs> Uncle Sam is What in is the this, parade. a military parade? Okay. Uh, yeah, Santa's the grand finale every year. Yeah. That makes sense. I should have thought that through more. Yeah. For some reason in my mind, he was already at Macy's. Oh. Like, the parade arrives to him. Well, maybe, I don't know. This is the final question, so don't... Okay. Which character has had more unique variants of balloons than any other character with eight in total and has appeared the most out of any character with a grand total of 38 appearances, making his so debut one, in 1968? That one's Snoopy. Snoopy. Eight different variants of Snoopy, including Snoopy the Flying Ace and the current variation, Astronaut Snoopy 2.0. <laughs> Wild. Indeed. Um, okay, well, you're off the hot seat. I didn't keep track of how many you got, but you did pretty well. Seemed, you seemed like you had some knowledge. I think I did okay. Yeah. Any interesting facts that I didn't include in a question that stood out to you? So, one thing I thought you might bring up is the injuries because a statement I never thought I would have said before doing research is that there have been no fatalities yet with Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. But there have been serious injuries, 
1997, which is called the Year of the Balloon Massacre among (laughs) parade fans, the Cat in the Hat balloon collided with a lamppost and the debris fell on three different people, knocking one of them unconscious and she was in a month-long coma. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry. The first injuries were in 1993 when a 10-year-old girl and an off-duty police officer were hit by debris and another lady was overwhelmed by helium, whatever that means, <laughs> from, from the wound, like, blasting her face. Over- that one was Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> overwhelmed by helium? Yeah. Absurd. Okay, wow. Someone's got to put a stop to these balloons. They, I mean, they felt the same. And in 97, they limited the size of balloons, so the really big ones were all retired that year. Oh, got it. Okay. I thought you might ask something about, like, the tallest or longest or... Yeah. which is? Largest by volume. The tallest is was olive oil. She's been retired. Oh, okay. She was 102 feet tall. The longest is the dragon, just a generic dragon that was 178 feet long. Oh, my God. The most voluminous is Thomas the Tank Engine and Dexter's Laboratory. Both of those use 21,700 cubic feet of helium. 21,000? See, I have it as twenty-one million. I had I had each balloon, each large balloon takes between three hundred and seven hundred thousand on its own. <laughs> so I was seeing fifteen to twenty thousand, but it's possible my source is off by a factor yeah, who, of ten. I mean, who knows? It's balloons, so right. I thought you might also ask about some representation questions. So, for example, when was the first year that a female balloon character was featured? Ooh. I feel like, well, you said olive oil was a female, so maybe she was one of the first ones. She was the first one. Oh. Do you want to guess when? 35. (laughs) See, that's kind of the time range I would expect because that's when Popeye was really big. It was 1982. They didn't have a single woman balloon until 1982? (laughs) Exactly. Isn't that mind-boggling? Like, they have Betty Boop. They have olive oil. They have a fair number of female characters, but... I mean, yeah, you would think like Flintstones, anybody could have shown up there. You'd think. Apparently, the first non-white, non-animal balloon was Little Bill in 2002. So, (sighs) yeah, not great inclusiveness in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Little Bill? Like, like they couldn't have had a fat Albert or something? Like, Yeah. Wow. Okay, good. You mentioned off air, but this parade has its own wiki. So yeah. that between that and the Wikipedia page, there was a lot of like inconsistency in dates and stuff like that. So it's hard to nail down specifics of like when things happen. So yeah, I felt the same. Hopefully we like did a good said, job, did it justice. I don't know. For two dudes that aren't at all into it, I think we did all right. At least I assume you're not a huge Thanksgiving Day Parade fan. I'm not. No. But uh, anyway, we're going to move on to my hot seat topic. Dr. Seuss didn't really know much about him other than he wrote children's books. I was interested to read about it. I listened to a podcast, read his little bio on Wikipedia, looked at some other stuff. See how it goes. All right. Hopefully you're overprepared. Yeah. Okay, Demo. You are now on the Dr. Seuss hot seat. Whoa. First question. 
What was Dr. Seuss's first published children's book? Oh, boy. Well, okay. So there's one... (laughs) One had a funny name, but it was like he just contributed. I don't know if that's the one you're looking for, but... I'm looking for the first that was all him. So he wrote it, he illustrated it. Was it the one about his uh, childhood street that he lived on? Probably. Okay. Like, it's there's a lot of words in front of it, and it's like... Um, I can't believe I heard about it on Mulberry Street or something like that. I, I don't remember the full title, but... I'm going to give it to you. Okay. It is, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry That's Street. It. That's it. Okay. Because <laughs> the first... A story... <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, it's a story about a kid who's walking home from school, and a cart with a donkey rides past, and then he starts imagining all the fantastic things oh, that it could have been. Oh, I see, I see. Asks him, he just says it was a donkey cart. I think... Actually, he says he didn't see anything, I think. I think I might have read that. But the first book that, like, he was involved in that got published was, like... What was it called? Dang it. It was, uh... The Pocket Book of Boners is what it was called. Pocket Book of Boners? <laughs> and it was just, like, a, uh... Like, illustrations by him. And I guess it didn't have the meaning that it has now. But it was called the Pocket Book of Boners, complete and unabridged. But it was just like uh, short jokes and humorous observations. Like boners were like one-liners or jokes. Gotcha. <laughs> so this wasn't a pocketbook full of erections. Not as far as I know, but published with his frat buddies from Dartmouth. No, Pocket Book of Boners. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. <laughs> On the topic of firsts. Oh. What was the first live-action feature film adapted from Dr. Seuss's works? Mm. I don't know if it was the first, but it was. Uh, he wrote like a musical, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. So we're looking for feature length and live-action. No, so that would be like large national theatrical release. Okay. Because uh, hmm. I thought 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T was live-action. But maybe it's just a short film. <laughs> the Cat in the Hat. I don't know. The one with uh, Mike Myers. But I don't think that's... Cat in the Hat came after The Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, The Grinch Stole, Christmas. Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, okay. Yep. That was 2000. Cat in the Hat was 2003. Got it. I guess you said based on one of his works. So that makes sense. Because I think that the one I was thinking of was like an original. It was written as a movie. But he actually did. Yeah. The Grinch Stole Christmas. That was the first one? Yep. What year was that? 2000. Oh. Yeah, he had a lot of animated stuff going on, and he had yeah he had a live action slash puppet TV series called The Webulous World of Dr. Seuss. That was in '96 to '98, <laughs> and then stop motion and 43 and 44, but those were only 10 minutes each. Oh, okay. All right, missed it. Close though. Okay. Dr. Seuss's works are often associated with underlying political messages. For example, the Lorax features themes of environmentalism and anti-consumerism, while the Butter Battle book alludes to the arms race between the United States and the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Which book did Dr. Seuss adapt to an overtly political message in response to the Watergate scandal? Richard Nixon resigned just 10 days after this adaptation was published. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. So Dr. Sp- Seuss is responsible for Richard Nixon resigning then. Is that what you're telling me? That's pretty much the conclusion I came to. Yeah. 
so embarrassed by Seuss making a book. I have no idea. I don't know. It is called Marvin K. Mooney. Will you please go now? As I understand it, all he did was cross out the name and write Richard M. Nixon. And then his friend published pictures of that book with the handwritten editing. So it was called Richard M. Nixon. Will you please go now? But when did when was the book written, though? The book was written before Watergate. Oh, okay. So he just like published a kind of like a satirical cartoon, essentially. Right. So he just okay. He just crossed out. I got Marvin it. I thought he wrote a book about Watergate in Susian form, and I was like, "This is I'm intrigued because <laughs> no, I've never be heard nuts. of this." Okay. Good. <laughs> All right. This one's kind of wild. Okay. In a similar vein. Yes. Dr. Seuss's works covered a broad range of political sentiments. While Dr. Seuss was progressive in many ways, he was decidedly unprogressive in his views on race, particularly toward Japanese people during World War II, advocating for internment and publishing cartoons and other media supporting the killing of Japanese people. Following World War II, Dr. Seuss visited Japan in 1953 and published a book one year later dedicating the book to a Japanese friend. It has even been suggested that this work was an atonement for his anti-Japanese views during the war. What is the title of this book? I don't know. The only thing I can think of is the the movie. He, he won an Oscar for some of his work he did for a documentary feature about Japanese culture. It's called like something death, days of death or something like that. But I don't know. I don't know the book. Okay. It is Horton Hears a Who. Oh, which, having read, I do not understand how that is supposed to be like an allegory for the U.S. and Japanese relations. But yeah, he apparently saw it that way. I've seen, I have not read it, but I've seen part of the movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I don't understand. Yeah. Hmm. Who, who's the U.S.? Is, is the U.S. Horton in that case? Or I've got to think so. The idea being like protecting the devastated nation after the war from other countries who would otherwise harm them. I guess. But again, kind of leaves out the fact that Horton first bombs them with two atomic bombs before helping out. Wow, I didn't know Horton had it in him, but... Yeah, well, he's surprisingly violent when he needs to be. (laughs) Okay, go next. (laughs) Okay, two more. First... Dr. Seuss published over 60 children's books in his lifetime, has had over a dozen posthumous publications, and has sold over 200 million books in all. However, not every book has achieved the success of The Cat in the Hat or Oh, The Places You'll Go. Can you pick which of these lesser-known titles is not a Dr. Seuss book? Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. We have 1939's The Seven Ladies Godiva, 1947's The Wonderful Things Gerald McGrew Can Do, 1948's Thidwick the Big-Hearted Moose, and 1950's Gerald McBoing-Boing. <laughs> okay, Gerald McBoing-Boing is one of his. I know that. Okay. I've heard of that one. The other ones I'm not so confident with. Give me the first three one more time. Okay. 1939's The Seven Ladies Godiva. Godiva? 1947's The Wonderful Things Gerald McGrew Can Do, and 1948's Thidwick the Big-Hearted Moose. Thidwick the Big-Hearted Moose. Hmm. I'm thinking it's either one or three. The second one, so- if it's this, if it's not the second one, that one sounds pretty good. So, well done for finding <laughs> that book. Or did you make the title up? I don't know. But We'll find out. Yeah. 
I'll go three. The moose, the big-hearted moose. Thidwick the big-hearted moose. Yes. Thidwick the big-hearted moose is a Dr. Seuss book. Uh-huh. The made-up one was The Wonderful Things Gerald McGrew I Can Do. I knew it. I knew it. It was too good. <laughs> I should have just picked it because the other ones don't sound like Seuss books. But go ahead. Okay. All right. I was inspired by your Barbie trivia. <laughs> So you just, right, so last you one, just made that up? I did. Oh. Well, so it's kind of cheating. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss to my son. Uh-huh. Gerald McGrew is a character in a Dr. Seuss book. Liar. Called yeah. If I Ran the Zoo. You really did cheat on me then. Yeah. And the phrase, the wonderful things, is similar to the wonderful sounds Mr. Brown can do. Oh, I see. Which is in a book called Mr. Brown Can Moo. All right. So I just kind of mashed those together. All right. Cool, cool. Are you ready for your last hot seat question? Let's hope I can get it. I've been pretty abysmal so far. I should have focused more on his life, I'm thinking, and less on his work. Probably, but go ahead. <laughs> what is Dr. Seuss's best-selling book? I would think, I would think that it's The Cat in the Hat, if I had to guess, because that was like his first one in that style that became really synonymous with him. So I will just say The Cat in the Hat. And be wrong if it's not that. I think Cat in the Hat is a wonderful guess. I believe it's in his top four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it is Green Eggs and Ham. Oh, okay. Nice. So I will say I am not 100% confident on that answer. I found three different news articles published in different years mm -hmm. that all made that claim. And they gave yearly sales numbers for different books right. and it was the highest in each of those articles right so it stands to reason it's the highest probably but i couldn't find anywhere that had like a total book sold for yeah uh, that'd be tough probably to find you'd probably be better off just looking at a list of like best-selling books of all time and then just like finding the first one that's dr seuss's yeah yeah interesting green eggs and ham well am i off the hot seat or you are now off the hot seat yeah you know, I thought maybe you'd focus on, uh, I had a little bit more biographical stuff. So pocketbook of boners, I thought was hilarious. So I wrote that down. Absolutely. Uh, he's won two Oscars. So he's he won one Oscar for the, the movie about Japanese culture was called design for death. And that won an Oscar for best documentary feature. And then he also won an Oscar for a, I guess it was a animated short about Gerald McMoyboing called Gerald McBoing Boing. So two Oscars in his life. He went to Dartmouth and then Oxford University, where he met his wife, his wife Helen Palmer, and then she suffered from a debilitating disease, Guillain Barre disease, I think it's called. And it's where you can't like you lose like a lot of your motor function and you can't breathe, so she had to be in an iron lung. So a lot of his later life was like taken up by her illness basically he quit writing for a long for a while try and treat her and then eventually they kind of grew apart and he started cheating with another woman and things got controversial in Seussland. then his first wife died and then or no his first wife killed himself his right his first wife committed suicide yeah not great and then within a year he married the lady he was cheating with right well yeah it's not well, not a great look um, but then, yeah, he died of like uh, throat cancer, I think, or in 1991. And then afterwards, there were a lot of more merchandise and adaptations of his work because 
in his lifetime, he was very restrictive about the adaptations and licensing agreements that could be done. But his second wife was a little bit more forthcoming with those. So that's why there's been kind of a resurgence in Seuss merchandise in the last 30 years or so because... She just died in 2018. Do you know who is in charge of the estate now? No idea. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, I could see an explosion of Seuss now. Yeah, okay. Interesting life, you know? His his personal life was, like, very different than the kind of person that the Dr. Dr. Seuss... Well, you didn't even mention, but his name's not even Dr. Seuss. Theodore no. Geisel is his birth name. So the persona Dr. Seuss is kind of very different from the personal life of Ted Geisel, which is kind of who he was in his private life. But interesting guy to read about. And uh, now I know more about him, I guess. Um, So both of these topics were, no, not true. Neither of these topics were suggested by listeners. We just made these up. But I am a listener. True. But now you're a co-host. So, okay. Uh, But if you like this Hot Seek segment because we enjoy it and you wanted a specific topic to be featured on it, please send us an email to triviarewrites at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at triviarewrites. Um, I don't think we have a email this week. Oh. No emails. <laughs> and I don't think we have any tweets either. But we're waiting for your tweets and emails at the uh, addresses listed before. Do you have anything else you want to talk about to finish out the episode? Uh, I guess I would just say, Hibs, enjoy the honeymoon. And Demo, thanks for having me on. Well, you are welcome. And thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in this week. Um, That is all we have for this week. And I will talk to you next time.